Kids are a blessing, right? I mean, they are awesome. But they can be pretty cruel, too. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen kids playing on a playground, how cruel uh, they can be to each other. Um, I was a target of bullying as a kid. I'm sure some of you were. I'm sure I did some bullying myself. Uh, But I, I remember as a little boy remembering a little poem that I would say in order to cope when someone would start making fun of me, or I think probably kids said it when I was making fun of them, but it it went like this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I remember little kids scurrying on the playground, running away and screaming, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. Um, Some of you may remember that. Uh, I was a crazy boy. I got hurt a lot. My parents would pretty much leave some water on the front porch and uh, say, go out and play. So I spent a lot of my time outside playing, and I got hurt a lot. I've broken ribs, jumping BMX bikes. I've had concussions. I've uh, cracked fingers. I've skinned the, all the skin off my knees countless times. I don't know how I've made it this far. Um, and, I'm, you know, I think back on all these physical wounds, you know, and uh, these things have healed. They are gone. They're totally healed. But when I, when I think about some of the words that have been said to me, when I think about some of the words that I've said to others, those things, if I'm to be honest, when I think upon them, they still hurt. And I'm sure that's the case with you too. I mean, I don't think that poem is accurate. And what we'll see in James is that's not accurate at all. And I don't think that we need scripture I don't think we even need God's word. I think that life itself will teach us that words are extremely powerful. And the words that we say to one another and the words that we say to others about others are extremely powerful. Uh, They can build others up or they can destroy. And so my goal for this morning is that we'd all take God's words deadly seriously And that we would, as a people, seek to grow in holiness in the way that we communicate. And so why do we need this text? I think we need this text this morning because really, as a people, uh, the way that we communicate as individuals really defines who we are as a people. And so we'll either communicate in good ways or we'll communicate in bad ways. But the way we communicate is an expression of our heart. It kind of defines who we are. So we're going to be in James 3, 1 through 6, but before our passage, just to provide you guys a little bit of background, we're coming right out of a discussion in faith and works, and what James did in chapter 2 was show us that works, the works of our faith, are a demonstration of the true, genuine faith that we have. So if we do have a genuine faith in Christ, it will express itself in works. There will be a difference. You will see things happening in a person's life. You will see things like love for fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. You'll see a desire to be involved in church. You'll see things like that. You'll see a a thirst and a hunger for God's word. It'll express itself in a life that honors Christ for the most part. And so this discussion then leads right into a discussion of words. And the idea is this. The idea is that our words are works. And so in verse 1 of chapter 3, James begins this topic about taming the tongue and and communicating in a Christ-like way. He begins by addressing the leaders of these congregations that he's writing to. So the first point of this morning is this. Take the teaching of God's word seriously. 
And this is especially true for those of you who may aspire to teach God's word in more of a formal role. Verse 1 reads this. So turn on your Bible or we got it on the screen as well. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. All right, there's a lot in this verse. Okay, we have to take some time to flesh it out. First, he says, not many of you should become teachers. So he's not saying none of you should become teachers. He's not saying that uh, none of you can become teachers. He's just saying not many of you. Apparently, there's too many people in this context that are wanting to teach God's word in a formal role. And perhaps most of them aren't even qualified to do it. All right, but what we need to do is we need to define what James means by teachers. All right, we're all, one of our core values here at Integrity Church, we talk about this all the time, is we all want each other to be discipling each other. All right, we should all be doing this. We should all uh, be sitting down with each other, having deep conversations, opening up scripture, uh, teaching each other the Bible. When something's going wrong in our lives, we, we take time to, to share scripture and help each other. And so we're all called to teach the Bible in a, in a sense to one another. We're all, we're all called to preach the gospel to ourselves. But here, James has uh, more of a formal teaching role in mind. He, James is talking about being a pastor or an elder. All right, pastors in the early church had a prominent role. Uh, these guys in the early church would have been kind of as, as prestigious or prominent as like a Jewish rabbi uh, back then. It would sort of been like today being a local politician or a doctor or a lawyer because for the most part, these guys were the most intelligent in their community. You've got to keep in mind that back then, this was written in 40 AD, most people couldn't read or write. All right? Many of us take this ability to read or write for granted. I mean, just imagine you're a new believer. All right? You put your faith in Christ. You receive a new heart. You have all these new desires to worship Christ. And now your whole way of life is built on scriptures that you can't even read. Where are you going to go? You're going to go to the teacher's. And that's why these guys were extremely influential. And they wielded influence for good or for bad. And the church being so new, um, it just opened the door for, for all types of men to take advantage of opportunities for good or for bad. There was opportunity there. There was power grabs available with this, all this new opportunity. And so what James is doing here is he's discouraging them because many of these men are seeking role, this role for wrong reasons. And we'll see this more in James as we move forward because pride and selfish ambition were, uh, it seems like a problem for these guys. So James grounds this command, not many of you should become teachers, by saying, why? Because you know that we, he says we, he's, he's affirming that he himself is a teacher as well. We who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now what does he mean by that? What does he mean by judged with greater strictness? There's probably one of you in here that has a King James Version Bible. Uh, that's okay, because it was basically written in a different language. Uh, but the KJV actually uses the word uh, judge, uh, condemnation instead of judgment. And the Greek actually favors the term condemnation. So the KJV actually reads like, teachers will receive the greater condemnation. All right, what is condemnation? It's not good, right? Condemnation is the negative outcome of judgment. It's not good to be condemned. Um, so, you know, that, that makes me think, well, is James then saying that pastors are guaranteed to receive greater condemnation than other believers? 
I'm like, well, that can't be right. That doesn't jive with the gospel. That doesn't, um, that doesn't make much sense. That would be really harsh to say that pastors are going to be condemned more than other believers. I think if we put, you know, let's put up a sign-up table in the back. Say, who wants to be a pastor? You can sign up back here. Only caveat is you're going to be condemned by God. I don't think a lot of you are going to sign up for that. The Bible teaches that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And this includes pastors as well. So condemnation here is used in more of a neutral sense. So instead, James is warning these would-be pastors that by teaching scriptures, by teaching the scripture, what they're actually doing is they're actually exposing themselves to a greater danger of judgment before God. And think about it. I mean, what could be more dangerous than teaching God's word? I mean, this isn't fun and games. I mean, you are proclaiming the eternal creator's holy word to his creation. I mean, this is not something that you do flippantly. I mean, it is a dangerous activity. The consequences are real. And we're not even talking about life and death here. We're talking about eternal life and death. The consequences for getting this wrong are detrimental. So we have to have a level of seriousness here. And James is not saying that that you should not become a pastor if this is something, if you're a young man here and this is something that you're thinking about doing one day. But what he is doing is he's stressing the seriousness of the role. He wants us to check our motivations, right? You desire to be a pastor, great. The next question is, are you qualified? That's kind of, a, he's, he's kind of saying that in a primitive way. He's kind of echoing what Paul later says in 1 Timothy 3.1 and just framing it a little bit differently. In 1 Timothy 3.1, Paul says, uh, he's talking to the young men who, who, who may want to become pastors. He's saying this, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires If anyone desires to become a pastor, the office of an overseer, which is the same thing as a pastor, he desires a noble task. That's a good thing. And then what he does in the rest of three, he goes over a long list of qualifications. All right, so the desire is a good thing, but it doesn't just stop at that. Just because you want to become a pastor, that's not all there is to it. The question is, are you actually qualified for the role? And so what James is doing in 3.1 is he is trying to get us thinking in that direction, to take this role serious, understanding that we're actually exposing ourselves to greater danger of God's judgment, that we should take God's word seriously. And that is why we here at Integrity Church are committed to the way that we preach God's word. And that's why we do expository preaching here at Integrity Church. Expository preaching is when we, when the pastor or the teacher or whoever gets up here, and what we do is we're very careful and we expose the original meaning of the text. Expository. All right, the root word is expose. So expose the original meaning of a passage. This is why we go through books of the Bible. This is why we go through James. This is why we went through Habakkuk. We've done several others. We've done Philippians. We've done, all, we've done a lot. And I know it doesn't sound very creative to just go verse by verse, book by book. But a, a pastor and, and leaders of churches, our biblical call is not to be creative men. Our biblical call is to preach God's word, not to be creative, to preach what he has already said and to continue expounding on it. It's one of our 
core values because of the importance of Scripture in the life of a believer. Paul in 2 Timothy, this is one of his last letters, and these are some of his last words before he is executed. In 2 Timothy 3, 16, 4-5, you have the words of Paul talking to a young man, a young pastor, Timothy, and he says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you, young Timothy, young pastor, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, do what? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. And listen to this. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from the truth, Scripture, and they will wander off into myths. As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the works of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So Timothy's role here is not to entertain It's not necessarily to be funny. It's not to make you feel all fuzzy inside. His role is to preach God's word. That's what he was accountable for. That was going to be the measure of health in his ministry. Not even necessarily the size of his church. That doesn't matter to Paul. What matters is, is Paul, I mean, is Timothy being faithful to God's word? And that's the true motivation because a true pastor is motivated by the love of Christ. And so it's out of obedience to Christ that we cut all the fat and we just focus on preaching God's word. And so because Timothy is accountable to God also, you have to think, well, then he is free now to preach boldly the word of God because he's not, his ultimate goal is not just to please the congregation either because he is accountable to God and how he handles and how he rightly handles the word. And so for the pastor, everything else is second to ensuring that the teachings of the church are biblical. And so in three one, James is warning these would-be pastors not to be like the guys in the second part of that text we read. The teachers that people accumulate for themselves to suit their own selfish passions. And so as a Bible teacher then, we are to be grounded in truth, the word of God not focused on pleasing just people, but pleasing God, worshiping Him with the way we handle Scripture. So what does this mean for all of us? I mean, we are surrounded by ministries and teachers that just seem to be so flippant with God's Word. And ultimately, they do more harm than good. I mean, I hear sermons all the time where guys just, I don't know what they're doing. They're just flipping from text to text, one verse at a time, just ripping it out of context and, and, and just saying it seems like whatever they want to say with it. I mean, would you want to be taken out of context? I don't think so. I don't think God wants to be taken out of context either. I mean, that's extremely dangerous to do this, to, to this form of preaching, because you're basically saying that God is saying something that he is not saying. That is blasphemy. Now, saying GD 
and, and, and saying, God, you know, kind of flippantly, I'm not saying that's good, but what is true blasphemy? True blasphemy is taking God's word and making it and twisting it and making it say something that God never intended to say it and using it to, to prop yourself up or build your ministry large. If you do that, the world will reward you with people, with money, it will. But that's not our call. And so those men are under danger of judgment. And so when we come up to this pulpit, we come up here in humility. We come up here realizing that we're doing this before God and that we need to be cautious. We need to be careful. There's a sense of seriousness here that James is impressing upon these potential young men, potential young pastors. So I'm not saying that here at Integrity we get everything right. I'm not saying that. Um, But we do want to try as hard as we can to be accurate with the Word of God. And I, I, I truly believe that our commitment to expository preaching is our humble attempt. Now, most of you in here are not going to be pastors. You're not going to be teachers of God's Word in a formal role. But I think there is some stuff for you here, too. Um, I think the warning for all of us here, teachers and hearers alike, is to take God's Word seriously. And to sit under teachers that take God's Word seriously. And to beware of pastors that seem to be so flippant with the Word of God. You know, when you hear something, check what the pastor is saying to the Word of God. You have every right and ability to do so. You know, most of you in here are extremely intelligent. I mean, you, you, some of you in here are studying to be PAs and doctors and lawyers. I mean, that's some big stuff right there. I mean, I can't do that stuff. I mean, y'all's textbooks are insane, the, all the stuff that you have to remember. So you have brains, right? You have brains and you can use it. And you, you, you can take a text of Scripture, you can study it in context, and you can test what you're hearing. And so I think that's the call for you. Uh, I have conversations a lot with people about the reasons why they choose church. And, and the one thing I always hear, I always hear this. I choose a church based on the way the worship music is. That's why I choose a church. I mean, if it's not, um, if it's not like, Van, like a Van Halen concert, I'm not going to go, you know. Um, and, you know, here at Integrity, we do believe that worship music is important. Um, and we, we're all about quality here. Uh, But we're not going to try and manipulate you into doing something you don't want to do. We're after a real environment. And I think the idea here uh, from this text that we get is that we do choose a uh, church based on not necessarily some of those other things, but based on how faithful is leadership to the Word of God. I think that's why we choose a church. All that other stuff you're not called to choose a church by. The worship music is important, but that's not the, the most important thing. The most important thing is, is, are the scriptures being taught accurately? And if they are being taught accurately, that the worship is actually better. Because the, the scriptures are actually uh, informing the worship leader. And, and we're actually singing biblical content. So it's actually better anyway. Um, so first and foremost, we choose a church that is faithful to God's word. Not necessarily how anything else makes us feel. So if you're interested in becoming a teacher, that's great. I found it kind of ironic that Ben took the day off and I get to teach the one that uh, says, hey, you probably shouldn't be teaching. <laughs> but I found, that, I found that kind of weird. I was like, thanks, Ben. I'll, uh, I'll, try, I'll try this. Let's go. But it's wonderful if you want to become a teacher. 
But check your motivations. You know, I, I, this isn't a place for selfish ambitions. I, I would encourage you now to, to be a young man that, um, that studies God's word. I, I would say meet with other young men, open the Bible, study it together in community, um, be a good church member, um, and do that. So, the teach, so take the teaching of God's word seriously. And uh, this is especially true of aspiring teachers and leaders. And I think the second point James is making this morning is that he acknowledges that none of us are perfect, but we should still seek to grow in holiness with our speech. Let's read on in verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. Now, at first I was confused about how is James' argument flowing from verse 1 to verse 2 because it seems like an abrupt change of topic. But notice he says, for, we all stumble. He says, for. So what is for, therefore? I don't know if you could say that. So there is a connection. And I think it's, it's pretty difficult, but there, this is a possibility. I, I think that pastors expose themselves to greater danger of judgments because they talk a lot. Okay? We got guys that serve in many ways. Um, but, you know, the minister, he's talking a lot. So it's going to be easier to sin. Uh, it's going to be easier to say things on the fly, say things you probably shouldn't. It's just naturally easier for a minister to say something wrong because their gift involves speech. All right, But we all talk a lot. A lot. Most of us talk too much. Um, verse 2 is a shift. Verses 2 through 6 is more general in nature now. So James is going to be starting talking to all of us, I believe. Um, so James says we stumble in many ways. Now what does it mean to stumble? To stumble is to trip on something, right? It's an accident. So the sense here is that we all kind of inadvertently, accidentally sin in many ways. Me, uh, Ben, and Matt were actually uh, in the office, the, you know, it was a few months ago, but I'll never forget it. And Matt was just standing there, and we were all talking, and man, he just fell flat on his face. And like, there was absolutely no explanation at all. We were like, what in the world is going on? I mean, he just fell, boom, right there. It was, I couldn't believe it. And we just started laughing. We were in shock first, and then we would just started laughing. And so from, this, from that day now, when any of us trips, we just say, hey, dude, you just gekied that, right? <laughs> you just gekied that. So James is, is saying that um, none of us is perfect. We all get key. Uh, we all trip over some things. Uh, ultimately, we're not going to be perfect until we are with Christ. Until then, we're going to sin in many ways. Um, not saying that when Matt stumbled, he sinned. That was an accident, so get my terms right. Uh, but the genuine, the genuine believer is not just going to take sin lightly. You know, eternal life has begun for us. Uh, we're going to fight sin for the rest of our life. You know, until then, until we die and are with Christ or when Christ comes back, I mean, we, it's just going to be a struggle. It's part of our lot. It's, it, it, we're going to suffer in sin for the rest of our lives. We're just going to fight it. That's what a believer does. A believer fights sin. And in this context, James is focusing on a particular type of sin, the type of sin that we commit with our words. Let's read. And if anyone does not stumble in what he, does what he says... He is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. James is saying that if a person does not sin with his words, he's probably completely perfect. All right? Because this man can perfectly be sinless and never say anything wrong, he probably can control his entire body as well, and he's sinless. 
All right? That's not possible, right? This is a hypothetical situation. Um, we say things we should not all the time, right? But the point is here, and I think what James is doing is he's trying to get us to hone in on, hey, focus a little bit more on this aspect of your life. Focus a little bit more on how you communicate with others. Um, I'm a verbal processor. Anyone verbal processors in here? Do you know what I mean when I say that? It means that I cannot get the thoughts right in my head without talking them out, out loud. I, I work very weirdly. Um, I get some of my best work done when I'm in the office and I close the conference room door and I just pace back and forth talking to myself about my thoughts. And then I'll write some stuff down. It is strange. And I do it at home too sometimes. It's like I'm, I'm not sane unless I'm actually talking to myself. And I know it sounds opposite. But that's, I'm a verbal processor. And, and you know... Um, it can be good or bad, really. Um, sometimes I, I just say crazy things. At work, uh, when we're having a business meeting or something, I, I, I say these ideas that make no sense at all. And the guys are like, what are you talking about? No, we can't do it. And I'm like, well, I was just thinking out loud. Or, you know, um, words just fly out of my mouth. And I'm just like, oh, no, come back. Oh, it's done. Damage is done. It's too late. And I've done that a lot. I, people look at me sometimes and say, why did you say that? Like, you are crazy. And I think the idea here is that we should be cautious with how we communicate to each other. Uh, we should really seek to grow in holiness in this area of our lives. Proverbs 18, 6-7 reads this. All right, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. By the way, I think that everyone should be required to read this verse before you post anything to social media. Just saying. It's extremely easy to utter false, biting, hateful things, to be passive-aggressive rather than just honest, to say slanderous things, to gossip, and what we need to do as a people of God, we need to consider others more significant than ourselves. We need to put a filter on, the, on our tongue. We need to filter things through the lens of the gospel before we say them. We need to begin working on it if we're less mature in this area of our life. Um, so we're not perfect, but we should still seek to grow in holiness with our speech. Let's continue. Let's read verses 3 through 4. If we put bits into the mouths of horses... So that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are driven by a small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So James here uses two metaphors to illustrate the same thing. Basically he's saying, look guys, small things can have huge impacts. Um, a riding horse can weigh over 1,000 pounds. I've never ridden one, um, but maybe one day I will. They can weigh over 1,000 pounds, apparently. And they're controlled by just a small piece of metal, a bit that's placed in the mouth. Uh, the Kentucky Derby is coming up. Ben was just in Kentucky. It was making me think about the Kentucky Derby for some reason. Uh, but these horses run like 45 miles an hour. I mean, that's just crazy to me. And these, one, these little 100-pound jockeys are controlling these massive beasts going at flying speeds, you know. Um, it's crazy. 
Just a little piece of metal controlling that huge animal. And then you have this picture of a massive ship uh, with violent winds being tossed all over the place. And the pilot just controls this whole massive ship with just a little rudder. Um, And so the point is very simple here. Very small things can have huge impacts. Verse 5 and 6, James takes this principle and applies it to our tongue. So our third and final point this morning is this. Your words have incredible potential to do two things. You can build people up. You can tear them down. You can destroy entire communities with this thing. Verse 5 reads this. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So we use our tongue to speak. I mean, it's a small part of our body, and yet it has tremendous power. When he says it boasts of great things, he's saying that in a more of a neutral sense. He's just basically saying your tongue and your words and the way you communicate, you're talking about tremendous power to do good or evil with it. So we use our tongue to speak. So James then, in verses 5 and 6, focuses on more of the negative power, more of the negative potential that the tongue has. He says this, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Now, I've never seen one in real life. I've only seen it on the news. Actually, I take that back. I did see one wildfire when I was in Nevada. I remember driving up a road, and I looked over the landscape, and it was a full moon. It was real dark outside, and I just remember an entire mountain being lit up. And it was just amazing and dangerous at the same time because there was a town right below it, and I was thinking, oh, my gosh, this is insane. I mean, I've seen them on the news. I mean, in our nation's history, we've just had these massive wildfires that have killed hundreds of people, destroyed hundreds of homes. Um, Last June, you know, we had the 19 elite firefighters killed. I mean, these are just absolute catastrophes when they get out of control. I mean, burning thousands upon thousands upon thousands of acres, and yet it has begun and started by just one little spark, one little cigarette ash, and it ignites thousands of acres, destroying homes, destroying lives, just terrible. I mean, the damage is exponential. So James wants you to visualize that And say, see, your tongues are that small fire. And when used sinfully, it causes so much damage. Damage you can't even really comprehend. And our words can hurt people. And they can offend God when used wrong. Verse 6. And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members. Staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. So we're moving out of metaphor now. So James says that the tongue is a fire. We've already covered that. And then he calls the tongue a world of unrighteousness. Well, what does that mean? It's a difficult statement, but I think it means that much of the evil in our hearts, much of the evil in our hearts finds expression through the words we say, I believe, verbally, or also the words we say internally that we don't necessarily always verbalize. I mean, these are evil things. Let's continue. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. Now, earlier in James 1.26, James says kind of a summary statement on where he's going with the book. 
He describes what true religion is. He says this in James 1.26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, does not control his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans, widows in affliction, and to keep oneself what? Unstained from the world, right? The evil use of the tongue is the opposite of true gospel-centered religion. It's counter-gospel. And I think that what James is doing here is he's actually echoing Jesus' words from Matthew 15 and 11. Jesus was describing the Pharisees who were teachers of God's word here. And he was trying to help his disciples understand that it's not, it's not what goes into a person that defiles him, but the words he says, the words he thinks, that's what defiles He says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. And so I believe that the evil in our hearts is for the most part expressed in our words. And really, no other part of the body has the capability to wreak so much havoc upon an individual's life or wreak so much havoc in a community, any type of community, especially a community of faith. Verse 6 ends with, he's still describing the tongue. He says, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. So the tongue will wreak havoc on a person's entire life. That's basically what he's saying. And it seems here that Satan works through using people's words, through using people's tongues. The evil potential of the tongue is demonic. It is set on fire by the very fires of hell. And so we as a people ought to take the sins of the tongue very seriously. Now after his discussion on faith and works, James moves right into this, what we've just talked about, about use of the tongue. I do think that's very significant because it's kind of the first real uh, practical, well, he's been very practical all throughout, but this is kind of like getting into the nitty-gritty of how we live our everyday life now. Um, That's very significant that he starts talking about using our tongue, I think. I think that we should actually spend more time thinking through how we can, as believers, communicate with each other, other in ways that honors Christ. I think that We should hold each other accountable in this area as well. I think that you should consider um, the power of the tongue before you post anything to social media as well. Because this is a whole new thing now and it's not going anywhere. Uh, Social media is communication as well. And so we need to use social media in a Christ-honoring way. Some of you probably shouldn't be on it even because maybe you can't control yourselves with it. But our words are some of the most important works of our faith. So we're talking about works of faith. Words are works of faith. And they either honor Christ or they don't. (laughs) So the conclusion is this. I think this is where James is going with the text. I think that he wants us to use our mouths and the way we communicate with one another in worship to Jesus Christ. And I think we worship Christ with our words by being others-centered, by considering others more significant than ourselves, by thinking about, well, how is what I'm saying going to affect the group here, going to affect this person? To be self-aware in that sense is just vital to your maturity in Christ. And I think that this can be us. 
And I think that we grow in this ability to use self-control with our tongue by first being aware of the power. I think that's why James takes so much time to make us aware of the, the destructive potential of it. To make us kind of scared of it a little bit. To be scared of what it can do. To what our words can do. And I think that we grow in maturity and we grow in our, our self-control in this area by, by studying scripture and growing in our understanding of the gospel. By understanding our identity in Christ, it helps diffuse a lot of our junk that we have that we express with our words. And James, you know, he doesn't go into a lot of detail. He doesn't, he doesn't give us a long list here of all the particular sins of the tongue. He doesn't. He's, he's very general. All right, He's got pretty wide scope. But I think what he's getting at here is in Colossians 3, 8 through 11. Paul says in Colossians 3, 8 through 11, I'm going to read it. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So he's speaking to us believers here. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger. All right, you ever seen someone get angry? It's usually something they're saying, you know. Wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Put it away from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. That's a sin of the tongue, lying to one another, not being honest with one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Now, believers, this is us, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And so using our words in worship is imaging God. We are reflecting the image of Christ. We are imitating him in that. Here there is not Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. And in Christ we're all one. We're a unity. We're unified in him. And so we don't need to destroy each other with our words. We need to build each other up. And so that's our call this morning, to be a people that takes God's word seriously. And not only that, but to love one another with our words. And to do that, we must be rooted in Christ. And that's good to know for us believers in the room that all of our sins have been forgiven. I mean, think about it. I mean, we have said so many terrible things, believers. We've said, we've said bad things. But we are forgiven in Christ because of what he has done on the cross. And I think we can still... We can rest in that this morning. But if you're not in Christ, um, then I would plead to you for tr- to trust in him. I mean, if I were to, let's just say, let's just say I were to take all of your thoughts from your whole life and all of the words that you said, and I were to put them on the screen here for all of us to see, what would you do? You would run out of here in shame. You would, you would sprint out of here. And you, you would be ashamed, and you would be ashamed even knowing that we do the same things, that we're not perfect either. How do you think you're going to feel when all of these thoughts and all of these words that you've said your entire life are laid out before a holy and righteous, pure, spotless, white-hot, holy God? It's going to be a different story. And He is good. He is a good judge and he will judge your sin. And, and, 
And salvation will, will not happen for you. If that's the case, if you die in that state. And so the call for you is to cling to Christ. He is your only hope. Because you are more evil than you could even ever imagine. And you need Christ to be your substitute. You need forgiveness of sins in him. So the call for you is to believe in him and believe in his sacrifice that he has died for you and that you could be forgiven of sins if you would only cling to him. And so your only hope is to repent and believe in Christ. And then he'll give you a new heart. He'll give you new desires. You no longer will want to live like that anymore. I, I still say things that I shouldn't say, but it's not the way I want to live. I want to, I want to, I want to please Christ. I want to obey him. And I'm thankful that I'm forgiven in him. And so our words reflect the reality of our new hearts. From that flows what should come out. And Ben's going to hit more of this text next week and he's going to get more into that idea. But instead of destroying each other, uh, church, we should build each other up and be careful how we use our mouths. Because Christ is worth it. So let's pray. Father, uh, thank you so much for...